So welcome to Entrepreneur's Odyssey, your ultimate guide to business breakthroughs and innovation. Uh, we're going to be your hosts, Andreas and I, Alejandro, and we're going to embark on a journey to uncover the world of entrepreneurship. We're going to share our stories and things we've learned on the way. And as we move forward, we'll try to get some guests on the show and explore the minds of industry leaders, pioneers, and visionaries. Um, so today is our first episode, episode one, basically a test. We'll release it, but, uh, here we go. We're going to cover kind of our own journeys and, um, what drove us to where we are today and, uh, just an insight into our minds, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Well, I immediately have a note for this test episode. Yeah. Um, be careful of your mic on your headphone. It was like banging on other things while you're doing the intro and I can hear it clanging around. <laughs> okay. Interesting. Thanks. Yeah. So I guess, uh, Andreas, why don't you tell us a bit about your journey as an entrepreneur? What even, why, why did you decide to become an entrepreneur? Well, I guess, okay, hold on, hold on. Let me just get all the <laughs> weird juju out of the body, okay? You and I have known each other for a while now. This yeah. shouldn't be so stiff. We should just chill the fuck out. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of fucking okay. weird. I don't know. How far do we go back? I guess, like, for me personally, I mean, it all started, I guess, when I was a baby. I have some memories of playing with my grandfather's money clip, which sounds like the most elitist way to start anything about an introduction about somebody. But uh, it's not like I was filthy rich or anything. Like we were just like middle class slash upper middle class for a little bit there. Yeah. And um, uh, I don't know. I don't even have like, I have some memories, but really for me, it was watching him. He eventually purchased a restaurant one day and I was like, you know, I'm like maybe six years old or something like that. And I'm going in with him and kind of like helping make the ice machine ready. I'm like peeling carrots. I'm just messing around. And I'm like seeing him go through business deals or people pitching him in the restaurant or how all that works. And I remember going with him on a few supply runs and like talking to local farmers about stuff. And I always thought that was quite interesting. And I guess, you know, growing up, like, what do you think about your grandparents? They're always like the cool ones or they always have all the stuff you could ever want, plus more things than ever you ever imagined, like when you go to the house. And so I guess grandparents, seeing that like my grandpa had his business and he had some money and he always had anything you could ever imagine wanting in your house, I was like, holy shit, I want to be that. I want to have that, that kind of success, I suppose. Wait, um, how old are you so this time? I'm like... This is like between the ages of like six and eight. Okay. Like and kindergarten, I guess. This, yeah. Well, yeah. Like grade one to like grade three or whatever. And I'm just kind of seeing this thing, these things. And I'm like, it wasn't until like I was probably in third grade, I started really understanding what it meant, you know? Um, Cause I guess that's when you're old enough to like be somewhat uh, smart about things or whatever, you know, just kind of figuring things out starting to see the world around you a little bit. And I remember seeing the differences between like what um, kids in my class had versus like what I had, not in terms of like maybe items, but just 
the fact that I could just go to my grandma's restaurant for lunch, you know, for school, you know, and like other kids didn't have that. And I was like, oh, this is kind of a special thing that I should like not take for granted. I remember feeling that way when I was young. Um, and then like, you know, I have money in my mind and thinking about all this stuff and like wanting to get it, just thinking about how do you get money? How does it work? Because it's this elusive thing. I'm like an eight-year-old kid who's seeing his grandpa like with money, but I don't really know what the fuck it means yet. <laughs> and so yeah. I'm like trying to flip Yu-Gi-Oh cards at school. I'm like trying to do anything for money, like like offering to do things for kids at school and whatnot. It's hilarious. It's like, it's so ridiculous. I'll do your homework um, kind of thing. Yeah, stuff like that. Or even like just, oh, I, I remember like going on mad, mad scavenger hunts for like, bottles and stuff like that even as a kid or like going to neighbors and ask them for bottles yeah and um when at least in the school district i was in growing up we had like these coupon books or whatever every year that they would give you at the cell and i remember one year thinking like wow how many could i sell could i be good at making money and so i just went out and just tried to sell as many as i could dude and i almost like you had like prizes and it was like number one i got like a bike or something Nice. And I remember like getting so close to that. I got beat out by like like ten bucks or some shit like that. And I remember being so angry. <laughs> I wonder what the the kid that won is doing these days. Oh man, who knows? I don't even. He was not even in my grade. I guess like oh, yeah. they just let the whole school have him or something. Nice. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so like it kind of starts from there, I suppose, for me, and just trying to figure out how money works and how money systems work and where you get it. And then when I'm in high school, I am uh, being pressured to get a job that I really didn't want to get because for some reason in my mind growing up, whenever I would think about money or how you get money, for some reason a job never entered my mind. I always thought, I guess, in order to have it, you had to have like your own thing, like your own business or whatever you were doing. Right. Uh, whether that is good or bad advice, you know, is is to be debated, I suppose, depending on what you want to do. But for some reason, just getting a job never made sense. And so when I was being pressured to get a job, I remember um, kind of falling into this idea of, uh, well, I guess around that time, like I'm like 15 or whatever. And you grow up playing like video games and stuff like that. And then... For some reason, in that moment of my life, I felt like I had an existential crisis or something. You know, it, looking back, it's probably just like nonsense, but just being a teenager, just going through hormones and stuff. But uh, I remember really feeling like I had to change my life. Like it felt that drastic for me. And so I don't know where cold turkey, this is like the height of Xbox Live, Xbox 360, all your friends are playing it, right? Right. Out of nowhere, I just decided I need to change everything. And I just started selling off all my video games and my consoles and stuff like that. And just stopped playing video games. I'm like, I'm like 15 going into 16. And I started realizing that, oh, maybe I could just like sell things for money. Maybe that would work. Maybe I could just sell my video games and maybe I could figure out how that could turn into something else. And I already had like, I guess some experience playing games like World of Warcraft or whatever growing up. They have like these giant economies in the games, right? So I had like this practice trying to like buy and sell and flip stuff in there. Now I'm doing it in real life. So I was able to 
take some of the same, I guess, philosophies and apply it to this. And somehow in all this process, I end up selling video games on Amazon. And, you know, this is like 2015. So this is like before all like the Amazon FBA stuff and like all the drop shipping people and whatnot now. Um, I just kind of got lucky, I suppose, uh, in finding that. And I started selling pretty much all my stuff through there that I could. And then I had a friend who had a bunch of old video games that he didn't want anymore. And I started, I, I was like, oh man, well give them to me. I can sell them for you through my Amazon account. I'll just take like 50% or something. And uh, he was like, cool. And so he just gave me all his games. And I just started selling them and I started making some money. Like nothing crazy, but like about the same or better than having like a part-time job in high school. And I remember going up to my mom after the summer or whatever. She'd already known I've been doing this. I, did, I didn't like tell anybody for a while. I felt weird or embarrassed or something like that. But eventually showed her what I was doing and she was proud of me, which was actually really nice. <laughs> um, but then I remember going up to her and saying, hey, um, would you take me to like these garage sales so I can like buy stuff and try to sell it? And, you know, I'm already doing this Amazon stuff so I can do the same thing there. Um, but I remember her not wanting to do that at all. And again, I can't even drive yet. I'm like 15. Right. So it's not like I can really go to these places, at least here in Maple Ridge anyways, it was like uh, everything's so far away. Right. And for some reason, I never connected the dots of, of just going on my bike and doing it. I really wish I would have, but for some reason it felt impossible at the time. Um, and so during that process, I make a little bit of money. I just start trying a bunch of stuff. I remember like buying some t-shirts and buying graphics and like making, um, making presses at school with them uh, or using the press at school to make them. I never tried selling them for some reason though, but I just remember trying different little things out and uh, then I end up going to a private college for what ends up being like fashion and business. Like fashion, uh, the business of fashion. Out. Yeah, basically. So it was like, it was like, it was like, um, I was interested in doing this because I wasn't sure if I'd actually enjoy going to business school, despite me trying to get into business. I always knew I wanted to get into business, but I didn't really know what that meant until I was probably like 17 ish years old. Like. What does it mean? What am I doing in business? What what type of careers are there? What type of business do I have? I had no idea. I just knew I wanted to like go in that direction. And I was concerned that the business school would be something I wouldn't like doing because it might not be what I actually wanted to do in business. So I remember thinking about the risk between my time and $60,000 for a four-year degree versus going to this private college where I could just like test an aspect of it out uh, for a year and just seeing if I like it and it was so much cheaper. Um, and it, I went to the fashion one because I remember feeling very creative at the time. That um, there was something about fashion that was like allowed me to use the creative side of my brain and then apply the analytical side to the business as well and just kind of uh, make something interesting. So I go to that and I end up learning that I actually didn't really care about fashion all that much at all. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, that's what they say school is good for is telling, teaching you what you don't like or what you don't want. 
But what I ended up learning, um, which is what leads me really to today, is that my passion is really more taking an idea and turning it into something like real. Um, like it was always cool to me, at least in the fashion sense, that you could just have an idea in your mind, a, a design or whatever it might be, and you could just apply it to a, a real life product that other people can have and use and wear. That was always interesting. So going to that school allowed me to realize that. Um, but what I loved the most inside of it, like in terms of actual coursework and whatnot, ended up being a lot of the business stuff anyways. <laughs> and particularly the marketing stuff. Um, because marketing is so creative. You're using that, that idea of like the creative side of your brain, the analytical side of your brain, trying to apply both processes and like making ideas up out of thin air pretty much. That was always interesting. And then so after that, I just started freelancing and started working with a bunch of like small startups or founders and people trying to figure out like how they get started with those ideas or how do they scale them and all the rest of this. And so it leads us to where you and I are today, basically, figuring that process out and helping people do that. That's how that's, I got started anyways. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. <clears throat> so I guess started when you were pretty young. Yeah, I just had a North Star and I uh, just kind of went for it, but I didn't really know what that would turn into at all. At all. Then I learned along the way all kinds of things and met a bunch of great people and, you know, happily ever after. <laughs> yeah, kind of. We're not kind uh, of. We're not at the finish line yet. Not even close. No, not even close. Not even close. So much just time to go. Yeah, been like and, what, a year, year and a half. So I, like of doing this. Oh, I guess this is our second year, right? Yeah. We had a bit of a yeah. feast. It's like feasting start. Like we had a really good start. We did get a good start. Uh, some might even say a lucky start. Well, it was definitely lucky, yeah. We got a lucky start before we had what? Any like website, anything. Yeah, before anything. Yeah, it's funny how all that that kind of transpires sometimes. Yeah. But we like really did hyper focus on like the person we wanted to work with and we did find that exact person. Yeah, that's that's um more than what a lot of people could could say when they first start anything, right? Like whenever you start, you always fall into that trap of uh oh, this could be for literally everybody on earth. I should try to sell it all to them. Yeah. <laughs> um we all know which that is that hard and, not working. No, you don't have whenever you're starting something, you don't have like a team of 10,000 people that you've already trained perfectly on your business ideas to just go after the whole world. No. Yeah, you got to start like yeah, you're not you're, Steve Jobs. You're, you're just like a a founder, like one person, like you don't have the capacity to sell to like 20 different groups of people. No. No. Yeah, it's and fulfillment is not easy always. But we yeah, like no, that's that's tricky for us. What well, I don't think we could. Well, I think things are a bit different now. But when we're doing like our partner work, our growth partner work, we really can't take more than like three to five. Sorry, there's a fine three to five uh, like clients at a time. At this yeah, point, yeah, that's very intensive. Yeah. 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 Cause you're going into like 
you're working with somebody's business in almost like all aspects of it. Like if we were just making websites, we could probably serve like 10, 20 people at a time. I'm sure. With the tools available now. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, going into somebody's business and helping them like really figure out what they should be doing or how they should change up a process. That's like, you know, you're really getting inside uh, somebody's business and that's like, that takes a lot of time. It's like a full-time job. Yeah. And then when you're going through that, you end up not having time to work on your own business. It's kind of what happens to us. Yeah. That is, that is how it started for us. <laughs> yeah. So now we're finally getting to like create the content that we really wanted to. Yeah. We had this idea from the, before we even actually started. Yeah, I know. We sat down one time and we had a bunch of content ideas for video series and different types of vlogging styles and podcasts and all that. Map. And we just got like too busy with years ago. Like two years yeah. ago. <laughs> we saw the old notes. It's funny. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh you know, whatever. You go with you go where the wind blows sometimes, but we focused on one area. Uh, we took it as far as it would make sense for us. And now we're here. We're like, okay, well, time to change how we approach helping people because um, I think there's better methods, there's better processes that we've now been developing and have developed in place. And so, yeah, we've also gone through this all, you know, we haven't made a unicorn yet, but like, come on, every single business really needs like the same foundation and feels like you know you need to incorporate or become an actual like business you most likely want some sort of website or social media or something and then you want a strategy otherwise how are you gonna find people yeah i remember listening to uh Alex Hermazi's wife. She always, I remember, I can't remember her name, unfortunately. I'm really sorry about that. She has some really good content. She's coming out with some she really does. good content right now. Sometimes I actually prefer her content over or over Alex's, yeah. funny enough. But she kind of just gets to the point. She makes these like slides sometimes too, and they're really good. Yeah, those are great. I mean, but she always talks wise. about, because um, she's always on like the operational side of things, which is a lot of the work that we do, anyways. Yeah. And so she always says like, well, the, it's the same amount of work for a seven figure business as it is for an eight figure business. And it's the same amount of work for an eight figure business as it is for a nine figure or 10 figure business. So let's just focus on them, the biggest businesses possible or something like that. Yeah. And as we've been going through it, we've been, I, at least I feel like I've been noticing the same aspects. It's like the people who need um, a website or who need uh, certain strategies in place or certain HR practices in place or whatever. It's pretty much a lot of the same types of work or at least the same buckets of work. Um, they just might look a little different, might manifest a little differently because of the scale of yeah. the type of business that it is, but it's all very much the same. It's just the difference of scale, I guess. That's what I've noticed. Obviously, the scale changes a lot of things. But yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of nuances, of course, but I mean, you're going to have to put 40 hours of work into one scale versus 40 hours into a different scale. You're still going to have to spend 40 hours one way or another. It's one pays more. <laughs> Essentially. Yeah. It's true. Um, I guess it depends on how you do it though, right? Like with our packages, if we, um, if we have the right automations in place, then it's easier for somebody to go from small to larger without it taking as long or putting as much work in or whatever the case might be. Right. So, but you know, even still, it's like, okay, you have automation for one thing. So maybe you just focus more of your time on a different thing. It's all going to be, you got to trade your time somehow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, there are different focuses, I guess, if you're going to start like a hundred million dollar business, like you need to go on a cap raise and stuff. So that does change things a little bit, but I mean, for the most part, you have an idea, you need to make it solid. It needs to make money and you need someone to buy it. Yeah. Like, yeah, I think that's why, why combinators, I guess it's like their tagline or their mantra or whatever. It's like, it's perfect. It's make something that people want because they are in the business of making companies be profitable because they take a percentage, right? So they just want to see profits. Yeah. I guess they should add make something people want to buy. There's a ton of things that people want that they won't pay for. Which is, that is something true. I've fucking learned. Like, I spent a lot true. of time developing a business and realizing in a business, it's a fucking nonprofit. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, that's right. You did. You had the back to bar community. You tried. Okay. Um, did you always set up to make that a business or was it always just going to be like a community? It was always going to be a community. I thought I could turn it into a business with events, make money off liquor and stuff like that. I probably could, but... Um, it just wasn't the input and the output weren't adding up and I didn't have enough capital or anything to like dream bigger and do a bigger show at the time. Right. Mm -hmm. I didn't have five grand to put up front right away for renting a venue, another couple thousand to buy alcohol enough for the people. Right. So I did like smaller shows, made money off the bar. Sometimes people would pay me to curate and stuff. I would do that. Um, but I always, like, looking back now, I see a uh, different opportunity because I don't, I started a community, right? But, and I always thought of the people in the community as uh, my potential client pool. Um, but if, for me to make it, like, profitable, I, I should have, I needed to learn more about stakeholders and how that works, right? So my stakeholders that like I considered the community that would be the one putting up the money uh, for things that they wanted. But in fact, the truth was my true client was actually uh, one of my alternate, like not the community itself, but my stakeholders, which was the bars and restaurants that I worked with. I should have mm. found a way to charge them more money because what they wanted was access to my community. And that's what right. I, I should have monetized. Um, but I spent so long trying to figure out a way to monetize on the community itself that I uh, 
miss that opportunity of, oh, hey, what I should monetize is the fact that people want uh, their attention, my community's attention. I should monetize the attention span of my community, not the community itself. So, you know, now we've actually developed a product. There's funny enough, the, the packages that we've just created. Um, that's essentially what I wanted to offer my artist community. But, mm. you know, that that uh, stigma of like, oh, broke artists, they don't have money and stuff. It's kind of fucking true. Like, I don't know right. how many artists are going to spend $1,000 on getting a website made and stuff. Um, you know, I might be speaking a little too fast here. I'm sure, like, people will invest in themselves as artists, but like, you know, there's thousands of people in the community, and maybe only a fewer would would have converted. You know, and that wouldn't have been enough. The community is too small for this mm -hmm. package to like sell on mass to them. So I had other ideas, but. Um, like I wanted to expand the community and turn it into a bit of like uh, a create uh, like SOPs almost so I could license it out to other districts, other cities and whatnot and have them start their own communities and then we could like share resources and you know start this like a larger foundation uh, which would have been cool but at the end of the day man like I support want to make money off of it i was like i was i started my business as a photographer and this at this and then like used my money from the being a photographer to fund this whole thing that never ended up being like wow well, like monetized instead i just basically started a non-profit and donated a bunch of money <laughs> <laughs> which so non-profit donated a bunch of my own money yeah, uh, and you cool. know what? Eventually, like I actually did. It is a nonprofit now. It, it, it's doing its own thing. I don't need to be there. It's still going. The community still supports each other. Uh, we just gave it a face and a brand, essentially. And so, like, we still offer like resources. Kind of, it's more of like an online publication now, volunteer run and whatnot. No one's really getting paid, um, but people love it and they keep it going. So, let them have it. Yeah, I guess it's hard to get people to pay for something that is free in their minds, right? Like like the community, to get them to start paying for things is probably hard when they've always known it to be a free thing. Yeah, so I wanted to provide them a service, right? Something that they might buy and something that they would buy. And um never fucking happened. But like, I had a, one, another idea I had that would kind of like monetize my stakeholders or complimentary stakeholders, like uh, different art supply stores, maybe like the cool bar in town with like all the art in it and whatever. Mm. Um, if I could get them to enter into a membership. So like, hey, get the v uh, get the Vancouver Art Community membership card and you get a discount at this bar and you get discount art supplies, et cetera, et cetera. And they would pay maybe like $100 or whatever a, a year. And they'd get access to all these perks. Um, I thought that would really like advance the community, um, and it probably would. And I'd still love to do it, but setting all that up is a bit of a pain, uh, especially when it's so much like time up front and then relationship management. 
part. Uh, it's a it's a full time job. Where yeah, I'd I'd rather do that more for fun later than uh, you know and be she, worried about okay. money. Right. So you you didn't even get a chance to try that out yet, but no. Obviously, it would be a long time trying to figure it out. Well, yeah, I, I made all these plans. And st- like COVID happened, and we were making a little bit of money. We were doing like a couple events a month, maybe like a thousand dollars a month, a couple thousand, whatever, probably less, definitely less actually. And uh, but it was enough, like a little bit of money from the events and the liquor sales, and then a li- like a little bit of money, more money from being a photographer. And I was like, you know, is okay. Things were all right, but then uh, COVID happened. And uh, uh, two years, you can do a, a single fucking event. So I spent those two years like thinking of like, oh, what should I do next? Uh, what do I like to do? Uh, what can I do with this uh, VAC thing? And that happened. So I just literally like dismantled non-profit idea like trying to look at all the pieces from above you know and put it back together reorganizing the google drive and whatever like figuring out how the fuck i can like put it all back together um and then at the same time i knew i needed like a bit of a mentor or something right somewhere to start Mm -hmm. so i uh, called my friend um they uh, started this business called Techware Intern. They were doing pretty good. I knew COVID happened, so I knew that they couldn't be traveling and doing their consulting work anymore. So I moved into their warehouse. I lived there 24-7 at the startup for like a year. It was fucking nuts. I lived with like some like smart autistic dude and like like business guy and stuff. And it was great because like, I just present my problems. I like, you know, we would work through solutions together. I'd watch them work through problems and like how they were monetizing, how to run a consulting business, etc. Um, yeah, just kind of took all that and learned from there and put it all together. That like, hey, like, okay, I wanted to start a community, but what I'm really doing for them is just marketing. Mm. Like, I was just marketing my events. I was marketing this, marketing community, getting people to join. Like, it was all just marketing. That's kind of where I started yeah, marketing, to realize. Um, marketing comes in to pretty much every aspect of business, but people don't fully realize it, I guess, because marketing is such like a overused term, and it could mean yeah. literally anything uh, to could, some people, but... Yeah, I mean, like, the best ideas, like Tesla, Tesla, Nikolai Tesla literally had the best ideas, but no one knew about them until after he died and he died broke. Right. Yeah. That's the thing, though, is like a lot of people don't know how to do that. They feel stigma towards putting themselves out there, putting their ideas out there. They feel bad about the idea of marketing sometimes, or some people market and they don't realize they're marketing and then they find out they're marketing and they shut down. <laughs> they can't handle the idea of it. Yeah. I always liked marketing other people or like other things. Never not like not so much myself. So this is actually my first time putting myself out there to like 
do marketing for like kind myself, of which is kind of fucking weird. Yeah, kind of weird. Myself, and I'm not like behind the camera filming the interview or whatever this time. I, uh, well, listen, I'm not exactly used to it either. It's a odd feeling for me. I think there's a lot of, um, God, I don't know. There's like a lot of aspects to this idea of putting yourself on something. Cause yeah. like, like I always feel that when I think about putting myself out there, I feel the same way as when I hear my voice on a recording or she see a video of myself. Like, I'm just like, ah, what the hell? I don't want to see that. It grosses me out. It is kind of, yeah, gonna, watching this back is going to be really fucking weird for me. Oh, it's going to be painful. <laughs> yeah. But whatever. We'll eventually get used to it. It's okay, I guess. I, I didn't know, by the way, um, like you told me about you going to Tepper before. I had no idea that you, um, I had no idea that uh, they helped you work through some problems. Um, and that it was a bit more like, cause you never went into the details of how intimate the whole thing was. Like, I just know that sleeping in a warehouse, working with these crazy people, which they're not actually crazy. Like um, they, they're, they're just, like, just like innovative. They're crazy. They're like mad scientists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, 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 they're on a whole other level. Um, like I just always heard like your, your stories of like just very specific moments in time or seeing some of the results of your work. I never really got a full picture. So like, I guess I'm super curious about that, but um, I, I'm curious about how you took your path to, I guess, entrepreneurship. Like why the, why the, why the photography, why not videography? Why not literally anything else? You know, like what happened there? Yeah. Sort of, uh, weird path i guess so is everyone um let's see where did it start well you got the like the classic immigrant story first generation like getting here from mexico kind of thing dad working his ass off dad started his own business uh security mm. cameras and whatnot so maybe that's why i like cameras who fucking knows but you know watch my dad on the hustle um i'd go with him on job sites like I thought I was going to be an electrician because I like understood that because I was always working with low voltage at least, running cables as well. Uh, yeah, just help my dad earn my allowance kind of thing, you know. Um, and let's see. Damn, uh, you got an allowance? Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I got an allowance. It's pretty sick. <clears throat> yeah, my dad was always like, you know, you always got to have some fucking money on you, like, you know, have some money. Like growing up, he'd give me a small allowance, but I'd go work and earn some more. Um, you know, earn a bit of a work ethic. Uh, before that, actually, like I had a really strong work ethic because uh, I was like a competitive athlete, right? I was a gymnast and I was doing that like six days a week, five hours a day. Uh, and so that's maybe that's why I got an allowance because, you know, I worked so much. Uh, that was like I was a gymnast that was like my identity up until like high school uh, and then high school you know just, you meet girls you, you find drugs you oh. have fun you know you just, okay. your, your values your teenage like boy you're about to become a man like things yeah. change I didn't want to be spending all day in the gym I want to have some fun meet some people that kind of thing so I kind of 
Actually, I got a pretty big injury. Cracked my skull and, you know, like, broke my eye and my nose and all that. Uh, I was in the hospital for a few days, like, out. Like, I think I was, like, not in a coma. Maybe it was a coma. I don't know, but I was oh, out shit. for, like, a day or two. I was pretty rough. Um, I thought it was your back. No, I, like, broke my skull. Like, Whoa. bruised my brain, like, all that shit. Um, oh, my God. So, I actually missed... Um, I don't know, man. I missed probably like a month of school. Uh, and wow. so like I just failed a bunch of fucking courses and I was held back a year. So at that point, I was like, yo, fuck school. Fuck this. Fuck you. And then I just started partying. It was awesome. Um, did a lot of that. But like uh, I'd work, I'd started working a bit less with my dad, you know, I still work with him here and there, but I found different ways to make money, like alternative ways, hustling. Um, yeah, you know, like, alternative legal Yeah, we'll ways. say alternative. Uh, we'll say <laughs> alternative, you know, like I learned, you know, I can, I can go to the party and I can make more money than these kids are making at their fucking part-time job. And I don't have to go to school. So I kind of became a job, go to these parties find some income go out on like the school lunch break or literally skip school all day and just go to school during the lunch breaks and make more money than the fucking teachers like okay right. you're laughing like for being a kid you know well maybe not make more than the teachers but hmm. it was it was enough for a teenage kid and like i didn't i don't know money became something that was so simple all you had to do was have something people wanted to buy and go where people wanted to buy it. Right. Like, literally buy a ton of water and go sell water to a dehydrated man in the desert. He'll pay you whatever he fucking has. Like, made sense. And, you know, you start to realize things like economies of scale, and whatever. All this random stuff. Um, and... You know, after a little while of this party lifestyle, you kind of realize, like, eh, it's not as, as cool as the rap songs make it out to be. You know, you start mm -hmm. to get older, people start to get, like, in the game, and then, you know, like, people start to show up dead and stuff. Kind of rough. You're like, oh, okay, like, this isn't... The older you get, like, this isn't a game. This is, like, there's always a bigger fit, whatnot. You know, like, it's not that chill. It's like I, I, I didn't do anything crazy, but I, I saw other people that were like, you know, they they had something to prove, and let's just say someone else proved it better, right? Um, so you know, you kind of just start to like, all right, that's not what I'm looking for, and so I just worked at a pizza shop for a while. I became the manager of this pizza shop, so I was managing a little pizza shop and whatnot um how old are you when you're managing the pizza shop oh fuck i, I like was just graduating high school or i had just graduated like that kind of time frame because okay. i started like in maybe like grade 10 or 11 let's say and right it was an old family friend so you know so uh, so you're you're an alternative lifestyle coach in high school and now 
Pizza manager. Pizza manager, yeah. So like, okay. it's kind of cool. This was my dad's first job in Canada when he like came to Canada and I went and asked them for ah. a job and like, you know, it was just, they trusted me. Um, look, man, it's not hard to manage a pizza shop. You make pizzas, you make sure they're made on time and you make sure the drivers are delivering. Really not that yeah, hard. Um, so, you know, and, uh, at that time, might have been like one of their longest employees. Yeah. Um, how long were how long were you there for that? A few years, not like anything crazy, but maybe like four years. Right? Okay. Yeah. yeah. And you know, I'd still hustle and take the slices from like you close down the pizza shop, you take all the slices from the front, you go to the party, and you sell it to the drunk guys. Like, there's always an opportunity. <laughs> Did you really do that? Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Like, I, was, I still had something they wanted, which was pizza. And still knew where to go find them. <laughs> right, 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 right. Pizza. That's so great. Yeah. <laughs> Hustling pizza slices after. Or like, you know, couldn't make it to the liquor store in time. Like, I want liquor. I got pizza. You got liquor. You want pizza. Let's make a deal. Right. Just it's totally <laughs> degen. But, um, yeah. After a certain point, um, all that kind of got boring. Uh, I, I had a sustaining injury. Cause I love to skateboard at this time. I was still a bit of an adrenaline junkie because you know, being a gymnast, you do some pretty gnarly shit. Uh, the only place I found that rush was skateboarding. Uh, and I had to get surgery for this injury that I got skateboarding. Get some screws to hold my shoulder together. And then I don't know what the fuck else to do. Like, my shoulder hurt too much. I couldn't be a sparky anymore. Couldn't do it. Like, oh, I wasn't going to be an electrician. There's a lot of heavy lifting when you're managing a pizza shop. You wouldn't think about it, but like all those tomato cans and like making the dough when you're making enough dough for like hundreds of batches of pizza. Oh, no. Like, like, I was just like, no, nah, can't do that anymore. So I actually quit. Wow. Shoulder. And during all this, I just took my like last you know, like thousand bucks or whatever it was and applied to all these schools. Um, hadn't graduated high school yet or anything. Uh, not like that I was too young. I just mean I hadn't graduated high school. Like I just stopped going to high school. But I applied to all these schools and um, one of them answered. Not all of them, but one of them answered. A few, well, a few answered, but I didn't care. I, I just went and applied, like, signed up for the first school that answered, uh, which was, oh. <laughs> yeah, I was just like, fuck it, I need to do anything else that, uh, like, as long as I'm not using my body for, like, physical labor, my arm can't yeah. take it anymore, uh, whatever, I'll do it. And uh, the first school to accept me was uh, film school. So I learned wow. how to use a camera. And then from there, uh, you know, like, there was, I took one course, which was like an introductory course, uh, did that and picked up a camera and I was like, this is sick. Uh, I could do this. And literally at that moment, I was like, all right, this is going to be my job. I'm going to do this full time. for a while." And so, um, it was another like year and a half. So I started my photography business, but between that time of like, Realizing I wanted to be a photographer and the time I started my business, uh, I did another like year and a half of school 
I uh, ended up working at a nightclub, so I still had that degen in me. Uh, <laughs> and funny enough, because of working at that nightclub, you know, hundreds, thousands of people walk through a nightclub in any given weekend. So I got to meet tons and tons of people. Uh, look really good for networking. And, uh, you know, people like knowing someone that works at the nightclubs, like you can be their plug or whatever and help them get in, right? People like want to talk to you. I was just a busser, but like, you know, whatever. We'll still like tip you to like get them their drinks faster or whatever. You can start a conversation. Um, and one of the people I met at that nightclub was actually the nightclub photographer. And I went up to him and I was like, yo, bro, like, you're you're a photographer, right? Like, are you actually a photographer? Do you do this full time? Do you have like real gigs, or do you just do this? And he was like, "No, like I'm a full time photographer." And I looked at him. And I was like, All right, I'll work for you for free. And uh, I did. Uh, I did a really good job. He's like, "Bro, I feel bad. Like, let me pay you." So he started paying me like twenty bucks an hour. Um, and then from there, eventually, you know, he was just like. Do you want my nightclub gig? Like, I don't want it anymore. I'm too old to be working at a nightclub. So I took it and then got more clients, more clients. And eventually it was just like, okay, like, you know, I'm making over $1,000 a week, maybe a bit more, like a weekend, not even a week, just in the weekend. What do I do? And then, you know, I called an accountant. It was just like, hey, man, like, I think I need to start a business. And he's like, no, you don't. Um, and I told him how much money I was making. And it's not an obscene amount of money, $1,000 a week. Like, not at all, right? But he's like, yeah, that's enough where you should actually build, like, create legal body, legal entity, a sole proprietorship. Um, and I became an independent contractor. That was my first business. And then in that time, you know, I was, like, making enough money where it was, like, cool. Uh, like, I'm still living at my parents' house. Like, don't have many expenses and I took all that money and I was like, I'm gonna start a business and make this into more money. Like, what do I like? I like art. What else? I like people. I made my friend, uh, made a friend named Ian Cart and we started, like, he asked me all these questions and, uh, eventually he's like, dude, a certain art community. And, uh, yeah, we just, like, I, I had already this little Facebook group and he's like, dude, let's turn it into something real. It's like, sick. Um, so that's it. I took that. We started doing art shows and this, that, whatever. Um, we got some good opportunities. You know, we managed like one of the biggest art shows in Vancouver. I got to know like really talented people and all that. But at the end of the day, um, I just didn't have like, uh, didn't, I was, wasn't able to monetize it in the way I wanted to. Like, yeah, I made some money here and there. Like, I get a curation gig here and there. I'd help organize a street festival or whatever. And, you know, you'd be, like, anywhere from, like, two to $10,000 in, like, a contract or whatever. But, you know, you're getting them, like, once or twice a year. Like, it's just not enough money. Hmm. Like, $10,000, like, you're like, yeah, you get a little bit of hope. And then you're like, wait a minute, I can't make this last this is ten thousand dollars in a year is not viable like there's not that many contracts like this out there for me in vancouver specifically um mm -hmm. i'd have to start traveling and 
didn't end up putting my pieces together and you know i was going full steam ahead but covid happened and like all those festivals everything just all my events everything canceled overnight wow so that's where we end up at intern wow dude i had never heard some of those details before actually <laughs> oh i i tend to not give too many details any time like ever but uh i guess we're doing a podcast no <laughs> yeah so why not just tell the whole world yeah right like uh, well you know yes for the story so that's the story and i'm sticking to it yeah, i'm sticking <laughs> well, to it yeah okay wait so why why go in why did you have the idea that you need to make a business instead of trying to pursue turning photography into a bigger business um because i had this realization you know, i'm learning about business and stuff i'm trying to get smarter i want to be a hustler i want to hustlers university i want to be like andrew tate whatever but he wasn't famous back then but you know what i'm saying um yeah and something i realized being a photographer is not scalable so as long as I want to start a photography business, um, like, yeah, you can curate talent, but at the same time, like, you can't guarantee that they'll get the shot. Like, everyone has their own kind of style, right? So um, at the end of the day, what I'm selling is, like, my style. Uh, and, you know, some people value that more than others. Uh, and it's just not scalable being like the kind of photographer that I was. I was doing creative work, but mostly events. That was what was paying me at the time. And yeah, I could start a photography business, hire a bunch of photographers and stuff. But at the end of the day, like, you know, it, you're restricted to the level of talent of the people you hire, um, you know, their mobility, the equipment that they have, the equipment that you have. Um, and it just, uh, like, didn't click for me in a way that, like, okay, this could be, like, a million-dollar business. Like, yeah, it could be, but I should be charged. Like, if I wanted to make it a million-dollar business, you best believe I spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on equipment uh, and, like, a studio and, like, makeup artists and this, that, whatever, for me to charge a $100,000 contract. Um, and it's just, like, that, like, journey just didn't make sense to me. I'd, like, met successful photographers and stuff. I'd met photographers that really shooting fashion week and doing whatever and like you talk to them and bro like they're not doing anything glamorous yeah they're doing all this glamorous work but that's not what's paying them what, what's paying them is them doing contracts for like e-commerce stores and bullshit like that where they just uh they sit in a room all day and you just like take the photo and like 99 percent of the time it's un not as exciting as i thought it would be um <clears throat> Yeah, you know, and that's not to say being a photographer isn't lucrative. Like, it really can be. If, if you, yourself, you want to make a lot of money, uh, you can make a lot of money being a photographer. But it's not going to be a business. Like, you're always going to be working in that business. I wanted to create something that would just go on its own. Um, right. And like I said, you can do that. You can start an agency for, like, photography and go hire all the best photographers, have them on your agency, you know, start being an agent and stuff and booking gigs and whatnot, but just didn't uh, click the way I wanted it to. 
And so I had a lot more fun actually starting Thank You for Art Community and like going and making friends and building relationships and partnerships, hosting events. That was, that ended up like that energy behind it, like that, uh, yeah. Yeah, you know, you're out there doing things like that. That, that energy was, uh, I found it a lot more exciting than kind of being at the back of a, like, like a show or whatever I was shooting at the time and like, not really getting to like put the pieces together, you know, and just kind of taking photos of things happening around you instead of making things happen around you is, yeah, I found like, I, I'd been to a lot of events to shoot them by that time, and I just found a lot. I found it a lot more interesting to actually be hosting the events than to be there and taking photos of the events. Okay, so you just applied to a bunch of schools, right? Like, whatever. Yeah, all the schools in like Vancouver. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right, right. There's a bunch of schools in Vancouver. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But you didn't care which one it was, like you. No, you just the first one that answered. Wow. Like, yeah. was there a sense of desperation behind you or, or like, what was, why, why just anything? Oh, they just answered. Like they answered no, first. No, no, like why just any school? Oh, like, to be honest, if it was something I really didn't like, I wouldn't have done it. Like, mm -hmm. it was the first one that I answered. Cameras are cool. They're making like art and doing cool things. It's like, yeah, okay, let's do it. So, did you always have like an interest in art before that? Oh yeah, I know always. a skateboarding scene can kind of be like yeah, that. It's like, I remember being in um, gymnastics, being a kid, and being like, uh, you know, like loving like John Lennon, the Beatles, Led Zeppelin, like their <laughs> art and all. Yo, that. Like you were born in the wrong when generation, huh? Huh? <laughs> You're one of those that was born in the wrong generation, people. Literally, yeah. Well, I grew up on the music with my dad and stuff, right? It, it, like, I loved right. it. Yeah. Um, bit of a hippie vibe the whole time. And I love the art. And, like, that gets mm. into, like, the LSD era. And, like, they were coming up with some really cool shit. Like, the art, it was just, like, fun to look at, you know? And then, obviously, from that culture, you, like, do drugs. And you're like, oh, that's really fun to look at. But I always <laughs> loved art, you know? That's interesting. I, I guess too, uh, gymnastics are probably one of the more creative um, sports you could play. I suppose. In a way, yeah, you you do have a lot of creative, um, creative freedom in how you control yourself, and whatnot. Uh, but it's super rigid. I think it was like, it's militant almost. Yeah. Yeah. Um, excuse me. The. Uh, you know the coaches are romanian like they're tough it's like you um there's that stereotype of like the tough russian like coach or whatever and, like, right. it's kind of true these guys are like they don't come from those guys are built different they're pretty tough on you uh and yeah so like there'd be a bit of creativity you have creativity with your body but at the end of the day like there's a lot of fucking discipline you know you work out you're like you're, you do in like intensive workouts. Uh, so there's five hours. One hour of the day is like conditioning. 
working out. Uh, the other half hour of that is the warm up and like stretching. Uh, and then four hours of just like go, like, perfecting whatever you're working on, whether you're working on a new skill or a full routine or whatever. But hmm. yeah, and you do like, let's say, because it takes a lot of effort, uh, energy out of you. You know, you do one routine and you're like, you're done for like, if you're lying on the ground for like five minutes after out of breath, you know, depending on what you just did. But right. like, is uh, that shit takes a large physical toll on you. So you have to be physically really well fit so you can do it. And, and so you get injured and how did that happen? Was it during a routine? Uh, no, actually, it was during the warm up. Um, yeah, okay, so there's like a, there's an event. Yeah, relive like your trauma for a moment. What? Relive your trauma for a moment. Yeah, right? No, uh, I was just thinking the best way to explain it. But so there's like, a, I don't know if you've seen gymnastics, um, but there's an event where it's like a bar a metal bar and you like kind of swing around it and shit oh yeah and do like little tricks around this bar um well on the like for this whole event you know you you really uh like the physics of it matter a lot you know the physics and the timing now you're you know i'm not thinking about it in like math uh when i'm doing it but like essentially it was spinning around this bar and uh, I was gonna do like a backflip off of it, right? And you wanna you wanna load the bar so it's a forty five degree angle down this way, so it shoots you at a forty five degree angle out the other way. Um, but uh, I missed the timing by a fraction of a second. And I uh, loaded the bar like loaded the gravity downwards or pull downwards, so it springed me up. I just landed back on the bar and you know cracked my skull on it. So okay like, okay hold it's on then wow it's okay so you get launched like if this is the bar you get launched up and you land back on yeah. the bar on your head with yeah with my head and uh wow my knee hits my my face and so i like my knee smushed oh. my face into the bar right and so i cracked my oh, skull sweet. and broke my eye and my nose whoa yeah, it's just like actually no joke. That was just a fraction of a second. Like, think about that's all over. You know, you're in like a, it's all over. Yeah. Okay, so, wow, man. Yeah, it's like the the bone right here underneath your eye. Yeah, like literally, uh, in my eye, it's like a, it's like that, right? You know, and then yeah. your eyes like right here. Uh, there's a crack like going down into my skull in the orbit of my oh, eye. Like the man. thing that's holding my eye, the floor is like all cracked. Like, like that. It was wow. like that. Is there like, if I hit my face harder, my eye could have like dropped into my, into my face would have lost my eye. Oh my God, dude. Yeah. Pretty, pretty bad. Yeah. I guess like you're lucky to even be able to use your, one of your eyes, I guess. Kind of. Yeah. I like, need it like right there right so like right below yeah. the eye so, like broke okay so that is horrific 
what part of that took the longest to heal? Is it, is it your head? Is it your eye? Probably the brain. Like um, I couldn't concentrate for like a couple months or whatever. And that's why I failed a year of school. Because eventually, you know, well, you're so far behind. The teachers keep giving you failing grades. You're like, fuck it. Like, I'm just going to stop going to school. So, okay, so you couldn't concentrate. You have, what, like brain fog? Are you, are you short of your memory? Yeah. That, like, it's just... It was just a, like a big head trauma. My brain was bruised, you know? Like, things are just kind of slower. It's kind of foggy. When I'm thinking back about on those days, like, don't really like remember much of like that like, two or three months but do you feel like your brain's recovered now or is there always going to be a part of it that's like not fully there uh, oh i've had like a ton of concussions so i'm sure like you know that's had back i think like every time you have like some sort of brain injury it'll always like stay with you for like you know mm. and uh, that's a big problem with like football players for example, like I just had one big one, but like football players, they go through like constant beatings, right? Like those guys, yeah. that's the kind of injury that I think, uh, you know, like over time that they'll see effects from that, right? Like boxers, you know, because they're yeah, repeated trauma. Yeah. So like for me, I, I think I'm fine. I've had a few concussions, a fair amount. I had one really big head trauma which was that last one i just described but uh like getting punched in the face every day like a boxer right well which like i've never dealt with uh like a head trauma or anything like that before i've never as far as i know i've never gotten a concussion like i've been lucky i guess in that sense i i mean i definitely was in some pretty sketchy situations where i probably should have and right. you know i've played I played sports and whatnot growing up too, but I've right. never, like I'm asking you because I really have no idea what it's like and I've never had the chance, like I said, to ask somebody about an injury like that before, yeah. so it's interesting to me. And it was just like kind of foggy. Like I remember when it first happened, like I couldn't stay uh, awake. I just kept like passing oh. in and out. Uh, and then after that, uh, I remember waking up in the hospital and being like super slow, but I'm assuming I was on some sort of like drug medicine, or like like pain medicine. I mean, at that point, because uh, everything was super slow. And then I came back, and I was just in some random room, like recovering. I didn't even know what day it was or what was going on. I stayed there for like another night, and then yeah, back to normal. But not, it wasn't like things weren't the same anymore. You could tell there was a very noticeable difference yeah, in like the way you were thinking. I couldn't go to school. Talking. Like I had to go to school, but I couldn't go to school. I should have been. Should have stayed home that whole time or whatever. It was like a month or two until I went back to training again. But at that point, I, I don't know if it was like fear or what, but um, I lost that drive to like keep training and like is the risk worth the reward like i don't know maybe it could have been could have been an olympian right now yeah did you were you competing at a high level back then uh yeah 
like a semi high. Like I was the best in British Columbia. I was um, competing to. Uh, so I was competing against the rest of Western Canada. You know, I placed a little bit here and there, but uh, I think yeah, I probably like I do think I could have like represented Canada at the Olympics if not as like a main competitor as a alternative on like uh, some of the events and stuff because I was I was pretty good at a few of them. I wasn't amazing at all of them though. Right. So in gymnastics, uh, they have different. Each apparatus is rated differently, so like. Uh, you might represent Canada on one event and not the other. Mm. Yeah. And wow, uh, for a while, like, not so much anymore, but for a while, I I watched the Olympics and there would be my friends on TV and stuff. That's really interesting. Was it yeah. hard to see that? Well, I'd think about it and be like, yeah, like, congrats and stuff. And I'd also think, like, damn, like, that could be me. But no, I, I didn't hurt as much as, like, the Pepe Mooney, you know? Way to bring it back. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. Could yeah. be a millionaire right now. Yeah, fucking, that, did that really hurt you, the Pepe stuff? Mooney? Did that really hurt you? A little bit, yeah. Knowing I could have put like two hundred dollars and had like at least a couple hundred thousand. Like from the moment I found it to right now, it's like two hundred thousand percent gains. Yeah, and and Was we two... talked about you just focusing on that like the, the day or before or whatever. The like, day hey, before. Hey, just focus on just focus on crypto, and then uh, that happens. Listen, yeah, I, I think just... I think going forward. You should just take the shots that you see, because that's the yeah. only way. That's the only way. That's the only way. That's the only way. I, I I remember seeing it and being like, "Wow, the memes are strong with this one." Like, Pepe is like the strongest meme. Yeah. And, uh, this this is the meme economy. It's honestly incredible to see it, like the power of a fucking image on the internet turn into like. Hundred million dollar market cap in overnight. Yeah. What? It has no CEO. It has a no mission. It has no like. It has nothing behind it except an image of a frog. Incredible. But not just any frog. A frog with like two decades of cultural uh, love and and acceptance and memes behind it. Yeah. It's honestly, yeah. I think one memes are one of like our generation or the centuries like uh, phenomenons. Like, I think, I don't know. I, I'm honestly amazed at the power that memes have had. It's honestly incredible with the internet, like destabilize the nation with the right meme. <laughs> Yeah, I guess so. I think that's that's. I'm sure this happened already somewhere. I mean, yeah, there's people who um, it has uh, Cambridge Analytica. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. They did that, and, and also like in other places, I noticed like in um, the, the developing nations, uh, some memes are so powerful they actually cause like political upheaval, or or people in power will block the internet because the memes against them are too strong. 
Yeah. And you can set a bad yeah, precedent. Yeah, these, like, these are beautiful, I think, what, beautiful virus. Mm-hmm. So memes are yeah, a beautiful it's, virus. Uh, it's a psychological phenomenon, really, because if you look at a meme, uh, break it down into its parts, you know, a meme isn't just an image with a photo. It's a way of... Uh, Moving a message in the most relatable manner possible isn't. Uh, if you look at like the definition, it's actually been, uh, it's been used. The word has been used for a while. It's only been popularized recently, and it, the definition, as per like Google or Webster or whatever, I'm not going to give you the exact definition, but it's basically a non-genetic means of transferring a message. Uh, so mm-hmm. it's a way for a message to be communicated to people uh, without me having to constantly tell you hey this is what's happening hey this is what's happening it's just that not like a flag is a meme it sends the message of like the canadian flag sends the message of hey we're canada this is canada we're canadians like right canada that's the canadian the the canadian flag is the canadian meme you look at the (laughs) american flag you know like people look at the american flag and become a meme people look at it and they say america yeah, that's like, true. That's true. It's a meme. And that that word "marica" like actually carries so much weight if you think about it, because it's not just like it's not like making fun, of, but it's like you know, it's grandiose. It's like uh, inflated military, all these other things. People like it's the American population. That image of like the average American "marica," like it is so much more than just a word. What do you think when you uh, say America? Because I, I think of this meme. I actually think of a meme. I think of an image of a meme. It's uh, it's the dude who I think, like the meme of him like saying diabetes or whatever. It's like yeah. that dude faded in the background of some like beautiful blue sky with like a faded American flag and a bald eagle. And instead of him saying diabetes in quotes, it says America. That's, that's what I think about. Yeah, that's fantastic. I see like multiple different versions of it. I see one where it's like a faded flag and a soldier like saluting and it's like America and it's like tanks behind him. I see another one where it's like some fat dude sitting at McDonald's eating like quadruple Big Mac, like supersized or whatever. And he like barely fits in his chair and it's just says America. Hey, like, you I know see what? both. You know what? It's kind of bragging rights if you think about it for america to have a meme of its people being fat think about this throughout all of history people have no food and you got a meme of a country that's so wealthy people can be fat i think the world's just jealous to be honest you know (laughs) i kind of agree with that to some extent but also, I think there is something seriously wrong with the food supply in America because, like, <laughs> in North America sure. in general, like, as you know, I I'm agree. traveling through Central America right now, and uh, the food hits different, man. The milk, drink a glass of milk, and it's like, in Canada, I get sick, like, I have to go to the bathroom, but I drink a glass of milk here, and it's, like, good. Like, it's normal. It feels healthy. Mm. Feels unhealthy. Is to it drink pasteurized out there, or is it unpasteurized? Mm-hmm. Is it pasteurized or unpasteurized out there? Uh, I think it might be pasteurized, but I have no idea because I'm still buying like store bought milk. I can go 
get unpasteurized milk down the road. Like there's tons of cows right. all I have to go do is talk to the farmers up the road, right? But um, it's not just that though. Okay. I mean, it's like the fruits, it's the eggs. Yeah. The eggs here, they don't refrigerate them. They leave them out in like the, they have cartons and they leave them out in like the open. You just go grab the egg you want. They don't go bad. Ah. You can just leave eggs out on the countertop. But Canada, if you do that, your eggs are going bad within like a day. That's interesting. It's yeah, like, I, I guess uh, they probably don't use the same amount of like hormones or pesticides or anything when they're raising stuff. I for think so, yeah. And if they do, just like go buy it from the farmer next door, right? Like the food hits so different here. The cheese doesn't make me sick here. Uh, the water yeah. is great. I order water, admittedly. Okay, okay. So I'm curious to learn more about that because I've heard one time that in Italy, for example, the pasta doesn't make you feel like shit because they use a very old wheat germ that is hasn't been spliced and genetically modified, and so the pasta is apparently not so condensed or it's pretty light. Um, so out there, like, because when I think about dairy, I just, I just, I'm, I can feel a brick in my stomach of just yeah. shit that's just stuck there. In, so out there, it's it's light, it's fluffy. Like how how does that? Yeah, in Canada, way? I feel the same way with the milk. Like I'll still drink it. Like if I'm having some Oreos or whatever, like drink a glass of milk. Just it's perfect the way to do it. But uh, here, uh, it's honestly refreshing to drink a glass of milk here. It feels like more refreshing. Hmm. It, uh, yeah. Like, I remember just last night, actually, I drank a glass of milk and it felt good. It felt like hydrating almost. Like my body felt good drinking it versus when I drink a cup of milk back home. Like, it's heavy. It, like, sits in your stomach and, then like, you get sick. Like, it feels like there's a weight in your stomach. Like, in Canada... I, I would use the milk as an ingredient, and that's fine. But here, I'll just drink a glass of milk. It's great. Does the milk last as long out there? Uh, you get milk in plastic bags in, like, small portions, about this big. Right? So, okay. uh, we drink it so fast, I, I honestly don't know. Okay. Because I think here, like, milk lasts... Maybe like three weeks, maybe four weeks at most. I think it might last less here, to be honest. Okay. But, but uh, they keep the milk out as well. They don't always refrigerate it. Interesting. Yeah. So it doesn't have, like, the dairy doesn't have to be refrigerated here. Um, I guess it's just wow. how they treat, like, for, for the eggs, I know, I know that it's because the, in Canada they treat it. Uh, with like they wash it with chlorine or whatever bleach or whatever I don't know don't quote me yeah but they wash it's it white because they yeah yeah exactly so they wash it and uh, I don't know I guess there's a protective layer on it that they wash off because here it's just fine wow yeah I I always thought about traveling the country or traveling to different countries just because I wanted to see what the food was like in different places. Yeah. So I always hear that in Europe in particular, um, and a lot of other places in the world, they don't, a lot of it's still very much organic. So like actually organic. I've yeah. Been, yeah. I've always been curious about what that is like 
and if I would feel better and also I'm curious about like how much weight I might lose as well. I um, think like I've I gained a lot of weight because they use a lot of uh oil in their cooking. Oh, okay. I eat out a lot here, but the quality of ingredients is higher. So oh. if once you start cooking out like start cooking at home, start to lose that weight. And there's so much walking here, right? Everything's within walking distance. Uh so you just you're burning more calories, it feels like. Interesting. Interesting. Do they use, um, when they're cooking out there, do you know if they're using like vegetable oils or are they using like good stuff? Oh, they're probably not using good stuff. <laughs> oh, because <laughs> I think you, like the big tubs of oil that I see, I think they're canola or something. Oh, nothing great. That's but... like the worst one. Yeah. <laughs> but food is, uh, like so cheap it's street food and stuff and it's so good like i just can't help it man you're walking down the road and someone's selling mystery meat on a stick like <laughs> you don't even know what it is and you try it and it's like the best thing you've had yeah but it could be the dog from two days ago that was running around could be but you know, i'm sure it's not i hope <laughs> yeah. yeah but like know. okay i'll well, try things and it's well, just like yeah I want you to go into that a bit more because you used to live here in Canada. We used to hang out all the time. And then you want to go join the dark side or whatever, where it's cheap and free and you can run around without COVID restrictions and all that. Bull yeah, crap. COVID was the main chart. Like, okay, so, game changer. so I'm, um, I'm here. We go grocery shopping. It's between myself and my partner. And we spend, you know, like, let's say, let's say easily like a hundred bucks. And, uh, you know, what are we getting? We're getting some meat. We get some, some eggs, like, like how much is a 12 pack carton of eggs out there? So here it's like almost $5 for the cheapest ones, like four eighty something. Oh man. Uh, sorry. How many eggs in that carton? 12, 12, maybe like a dollar. American or Canadian? Uh, I think that's Canadian. A dollar fifteen Canadian. Yeah, I think it's about like seven thousand pesos, maybe ten thousand on the expensive end. Uh, so like on the expensive end, we'll say three dollars. You know, like I just go to the tienda down the store, and it usually costs me about five thousand pesos, which is I think a dollar fifty Canadian. Okay, so I pay for. 83, I think, was the last number I remember for the cheapest one, right? But, like, out here, there's also, like, the eggs that we prefer to buy that are actually, like, organic and free-range and all the other good marketing stuff that they say is, like, $8 for, again, 12-pack. Yeah. So, okay, so so eggs are, are dirt cheap out there. All right. Um, okay. What about like uh, what about like meat? Like buying like a pack of chicken breast. If you go to Walmart here, you spend eleven bucks and get a pack of chicken breast. That's like maybe a kilogram. Oh, how man. is it out there? Chicken breast. It depends if you're like a butcher shop or like uh, they have these stores that are like more focused around like the Western style of shopping. Those are a bit more expensive, but it's still cheap. No. Let's say I go to the, to the butcher or one of the corner stores and get it from him, frozen, whatever. Uh, 
probably looking to pay for like four chicken breasts, maybe like 10,000 pesos. Less, like, like, probably. I'd say, I'm going to say about 5,000 pesos per breast. So, or about, so let's say you're paying 15,000 for like three breasts, like a pack, three or whatever, three or four. You're probably dude, paying so like, what, what is that? Six dollars? Like four bucks? Six four dollars? to six dollars, yeah. Dude, I just bought two pounds, or sorry, two kilograms. No, yeah, two pounds, two pounds, I use pounds. So, two pounds. Of beef, ground beef here, uh, from the butcher, freshly ground. Uh, it cost me fourteen thousand pesos, which was, uh, oh, fuck, four fifty. My God, dude, that's crazy. Yeah. I, I guess just for context, right? You got married and then you left. You know, you've been gone for like, holy shit, you've been gone for like seven months now. No, I think like four or five. Like Didn't five you leave in November? I left in November. November 14th, I left it, mate. Yeah, well, it's May November, of this year. December, That's five January, months alone. December 6th. Oh, this is my sixth month then, yeah. Okay, you've been gone, saving all kinds of money. I'm living cheap and easy and nice. Yeah, I um, I'm getting taxed where I live, but I'm paying... 500 US, which is expensive for here. I got a fully furnished two bedroom, or sorry, two floor house with a bedroom and like walk in closet and all that. Right. It's like, yeah, it's, which this is the nicest course, place I've lived. Being, being, being in Canada, obviously everybody knows that um, it's $500 a month just to sleep on somebody's couch right now. Dude, you can probably find like a walk in closet with a bed maybe for 500 yeah, well, no, 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 no. It's it's. Uh, I've seen some listings for like, like here's a couch. It's five hundred bucks. Literally, I have. That's Literally, incredible. Yeah, I thought you were yeah. joking. That's crazy. No, no, no. It's it's uh, pretty wild. And you're you're out there, hanging out in a in a two floor apartment, basically, right? But you have a ground floor. It's like ground in and then upper. Yeah. So right now I'm in the ground floor because it's. About all like solid concrete walls, so I figured it would be like the best place to record. Okay, so, well, for the sake of the podcast, thanks. Um, <laughs> talk about like if you're willing to share, anyways, right now. I don't know if this is the podcast you want to share it on necessarily, but um, like talk about that process of wanting to leave and like what you actually went through with leaving. Yeah, oh, well, I guess we'll start with the wanting part. Um, well, COVID was like silly, you know, everything got weird. Uh, the event stopped happening. Uh, I joined the startup, all these fun things, a bunch of stuff happened, but my main realization was things are not going back to normal, but this is the new normal, like kind of weirds me out. Um, so that I just wanted to go somewhere where I could like live normal i guess like actually normal um so one of my friends asked if i wanted to go check out el salvador and i went with him to el salvador uh, i realized hey it's pretty fucking easy to travel when you just get on a plane and leave um 
So when I came back, I was like, yeah, man, fucking, I'm leaving. Uh, this It makes no sense to pay too much to not be able to do anything. Um, so we saved up. I think we saved like 10, 15 grand. Um, and, you know, we had to pay for the wedding and all that. It ended up being... Like, we did a cheap, quick wedding. It was really nice, but just with people we liked, we didn't do it too big. That was a lot of fun, you know. After all that, we packed all our shit up, found someone to sublet, and just, like, let as fast as we could. Um, okay, so I remember you told me that you ended up spending, like, 10 grand to leave or whatever. Yeah, and out of those just, 15 grand that we had saved up, like 10 grand was spent on leaving, but that's like goodbye dinners and also like packing things up, whatever, like taking things to the dump, whatever it had to be. Yeah, yeah. He's like, like, I think it would be super interesting um, to go through that because when people think about moving or going to different places, they just think about the cost of living being different, but they don't always think about the cost of getting there. Yeah. So there is the cost of getting there. Like, Oh, we had to catch a couple planes to get to El Salvador. We stopped in Mexico. That was easy, like a thousand or two for both of our tickets. You know, um, we had to get rid of a bunch of shit. We didn't have time to sell everything. So we just like sublet the apartment. I mean, the person that's staying there has all our stuff. Um, like we found the quickest way to get out and it cost us a lot more. You know, we were just kind of throwing money at any problem that came up. There's a traveling insurance that was another $1,000, now we're at 3000 You know, we have to pay half of the rent up front for wherever we're going to land. Um, like, once you get down, price is reduced heavily on a lot of things. But that process of moving, so many things come up. And we did it so fast that we actually ended up, like, burning through more money than we should have. Hmm. Like, if we did it a bit more gradually, maybe... Uh, started selling some of our stuff instead of just giving it away or throwing it away or whatever yeah. like yeah i think most of the expenses so i'll just run it down quick there's like one thousand two thousand for plane tickets right off the bat health insurance three thousand uh you know rent for the month that we like we left like mid-month but still like we had to pay rent for that month so there's like fifteen hundred um, that's like 5000 right there and then you know we have to pay off some of the credit card for the wedding like 6000 uh, a couple dinners there's 7000 um, yeah going out for dinner is expensive you, know? you go out for 5 dinners 5 to 10 dinners in a month you just spent another 1000 order Uber Eats yeah. a few times like fuck that's then there's groceries for the month that we were there. You know, we were spending like a hundred or two, uh, hundred fifty maybe a week on groceries. There is another six hundred. That brings us up to like five thousand one hundred, I think, or whatever it was. Um, and then, dude, the rest of that money like just evaporated. Just like I don't even fucking know where it went, man. Like a few nights out drinking, maybe like going to see some family members whatever last minute things we had to buy like luggage or you know like 
clothing wise, et cetera. We thought we were going to move to El Salvador. And so we brought a bunch of our shit, like random things like books and stuff. There's overweight charges on the, on the plane, wow. like things like that. All, you're just getting nickel and dime, nickel and dime until you get down to wherever you're going. I'm in South America. And then once you're down here, Man, depends where you are, but most of these places, like you're gonna get gringo taxed and you're gonna get nickel and dimed all the way anyway. It's still cheaper, but uh, by the time we finally figured out how things work and how to get things going, like you know, there's a couple grand just gone right off the bat in the first month. Next thing you know, you only have five thousand dollars left in savings, and you're like, shit, gotta make this work. Right, and you know, you start to figure it out. Granted, there's like. You know, we own our business, right? So we were making a bit of money coming in, which is nice. But yeah, man, it just adds up so quick. You don't even know where where it went. Like if you're just taking a vacation, um, you know, it's not as many things to deal with, not many, not as many fires to put out. But like uh, for moving, like there's always something. Always fucking something. Every day you have yeah. to deal with a little bit of a different fire. Like, oh shit, like, we need to pay the rent where we're going. Oh shit, we need to figure out our COVID tests. Oh shit, this, oh shit, that. Oh, we need to pay down our credit cards. We need to pay our phone bills. We need to cancel our phones. And everywhere you go, every like, you're trying to cancel like, things and stuff. They have all these cancellation fees. <laughs> um, What was the most surprising expense that you, that you were like, or the most unexpected one? Um, most unexpected expense. Oh, man. Honestly, we live in the middle of fucking nowhere. Uh, it's not that surprising in hindsight or hearing this now, but we didn't realize how in the middle of nowhere we were until we lived there. And then we realized... Oh, we need to rent a car. And so mm-hmm. there's another like 500 whatever a month. And that started to eat away wow. real quick at our savings. We didn't actually uh, expense for that or plan for that because, well, we thought we could just take a taxi or an Uber or the bus or whatever. But no, man, you need a car when you're in the middle of nowhere like that. Yeah. So that was, I wow. think, the biggest surprise expense. Well, Thank God you did it, not me. Now I just know I can just show up and be all cozy and have a good time. Yeah. Well, the <laughs> places I would recommend if you want to do the digital nomad thing, uh, like Funk Central America, unless you're like really into that like Bitcoin maxi stuff, you know, uh, Nayib Bukele as president is doing some really great stuff. But they operate on the U.S. dollar, so our exchange rate, the Canadian dollar, isn't doing any favors like yeah it costs a dollar who's it costs a dollar sick but really it costs you a dollar 30 because you're spending um, so i would recommend going somewhere that has pesos right off the bat uh and somewhere with some infrastructure um because next thing i did it was like okay fuck the u.s dollar i i can't keep up with it uh the canadian dollar is devaluing daily against the u.s dollar so go to Nicaragua where it was pesos. I think it was Cordobas or something. Um, and that was good for a while, but it's again, it's just so rural. So we made our way to Colombia 
And dude, this is, I think, a way better place for digital nomad from a first world country. I see. Yeah. So here, Medellin is really accommodating. Everything's cheap. You can find a place to stay. If if you want to spend a thousand dollars a month on rent, you're getting a penthouse suite. But uh, you can live well here. Prices are going up because of people like us. But mm. uh, like that's the way she goes, I Still guess. Cheap. It's still cheap and then the, having like a city and things to do and like people to meet and stuff so like right. i've met other like americans or canadians and stuff around here which is really nice and uh i'm looking like i'm looking for this kind of experience uh, i realized so i probably want to check out argentina next buenos aires yeah. uh, and uh probably bogus i want in colombia of course so if you were to believe you were going to start from scratch again, you would go straight to Columbia. You just forget the rest of it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. If I was like um, for a living, right. If I was going to take a vacation, that's different. Okay. Like Nicaragua is really cool for vacations. There's like, uh, you know, a set of like islands that uh, were made when a volcano erupted and they're super tropical, super nice. You rent the boat 20 bucks go explore these islands, super sick. Uh, there's volcanoes to go see and like lots of natural wonders. Same with El Salvador, lots of things to see. But if you want to stay for like a while uh, and you want your dollar to go as far as possible, like get to South America. Even Brazil, Sao Paulo looks so sick. Well, it kind of makes me think of uh, another question actually, or kind of the same thing. Um, and I think we'll be asking our guests this question, but why not, why not ask you? Um, if you were to start your entrepreneurship journey from scratch again, knowing everything you know now, what would you do or how would you get started? Um, that's an interesting question because I think there's a lot of things you could do, lots of different approaches. I could say something like, oh, I'd try to get into crypto earlier, like AI or whatever. But really what I would do is try more things faster and fail at them quicker instead of like, uh, you know, putting so much time and effort into like one thing, trying to make it work or whatever. I'd probably have, instead of putting so much into one thing and then having other ideas and pursuing them and like spreading my attention, I'd probably pick one thing uh and market test it see if there's any interest and if not like burn it and go to the next one quicker and i probably would focus on uh trying to release some sort of service or product that uh can be like easily repeated mm. yeah wasn't that convenient yeah Right. Imagine if you could just go to a firm that has a product where you might be able to skip some of all that crap and go straight to the money, go straight to just getting started and focusing on that one area. Exactly. I say yeah. that obviously I'm joking because we're literally developing a product like this right now, but um, that's kind of the part of the inspiration, right? For us, like if I were to start, if I were to start our business over again between you and I, um, I think. When we got that first contract, we should have hired it out and just kept 
improving the actual business underneath hundred percent the contract. Yeah, I would focus right. on like hiring more, uh, like letting go more. You're letting go of your margins, yeah. right? But definitely, I would try to practice like hiring people more often. Um, yeah, I think yeah. it's better to have like ten percent of like ten million dollars instead of a hundred percent of a hundred thousand. Yeah. <laughs> Right now, uh, and if you're taking a hundred percent of a hundred thousand, you're doing a lot more fucking work. That's true. That's true. If you can delegate and so, do what you love, yeah, like you'll have a lot more fun than trying to be the accountant, and trying to be like the contractor, the marketer, etc. Yeah, it's hard to do it all, which is why you probably shouldn't. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's why yeah, I love so this product. That you, would, uh, you would approach it that way. Yeah. Because, like, even, I'm not going to lie, like, to this day, like, I can't say we found product market fit. Yeah, we found clients and, like, you know, you do the work, but, uh, like, we haven't found our product market fit. So, you know, we're still trying new things pretty quickly. Yeah. I think, I think, will always be experimenting with things. I think businesses should always experiment with different products and services, at least some degree, but because um, that's how you keep innovating and staying on top of everything. But you should definitely find your staple for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Like I would, I would have practiced. I would have tried so many more things. If I started again, I'd like, I'd try e-com. I'd try like selling shoes on the internet. I'd try, try it all. But, um, I guess I just focused on what I liked, which isn't a bad thing. My first business was photography. I was good at it. I liked it. I learned about, excuse me, I learned about like being an independent business owner and what that takes, the aspects of business. I never became huge or anything, but I have clients, uh, you know, like people calling me and there was money coming in. So it wasn't always a big amount, but. Right. You learn how to get your clients. You learn what to do. You learn what your time is worth. You know, things like that. So. Do you have an idea of how much time you'd spend on each idea before we move on to the next? If you were to start again, like, would you be like, okay, for two months, I'm going to try this. If it doesn't work, I'll move on to the next thing. Um, yeah, I guess there is a bit of a catch on that. Because if you're doing too many things, you know, for small people, might think you're like a flake or whatever. You're like... True. marketing the same people and secondly uh, you know who knows if you've given it enough time I probably just like shop it around in a way where you know you put a few ad dollars behind it see if there's any interest if not scrap it and I'd probably do it within like a few weeks to a couple months like run ads for a few weeks a couple months put a few hundred dollars on there if you get any bites Keep going, try to get more, optimize the product. If not, find something people want. Right. Yeah, I noticed throughout your story, you always had this kind of idea of um, making everything so simple and just always seeming to have something that people want. Which yeah. Which is really cool. Literally as simple as like, I know drunk people like pizza. I'm going to take pizza to the party and sell them slices. Like, it really could all be that simple. I think a lot of times it's easy to overcomplicate things. It is so but, easy to overcomplicate. At the, yeah, at the end of the day, is this a thing 
that this audience wants, yes or no? Yeah. And then if it's yes, right. Done. Yeah. I mean, like, if you have something people want and people are paying for it, like, even if it's just, you know, one customer or two or whatever, it still means people like it. Like, you can optimize the product, you can share it to more people, like, increase its exposure. And, mm-hmm. you know, if you get enough attention, great. Like, you did it. And if you didn't, then find a better product or a service. You know? So, in all of that, in, in your history with business and your life in general, up to this point now, I mean, you're like recently married, you're a digital nomad, you got, you got your own business, everything's pretty wild in terms of like how it seems to be. Yeah. Well, how things like we're time. regular people. We're not like making a ton of money. We just no. did it. Well, yeah, we just got started and we just started doing it. But in all of that, if you were to kind of condense that, that past, like what is probably the top two, maybe greatest things that you learned or realized? In the recent, not recently. Just when you really think about like everything you went through up to now and what you're going through right now, like what are the top like, the, what things are, like, I've learned? Things that come to you, they're like, oh my god, I'm glad I learned this, or this is where I learned the most, or this is where I realized I changed things for you. Yeah. Okay. Like, I guess there's a couple aspects. Uh, one thing I learned it's like a bit esoteric that helped me a lot was just like uh things there's universal laws like cause and effect so if you do something something will happen so try to do things so good things happen you do good things for yourself you know you try to start your business uh, you'll get more opportunities like more opportunities in business more business opportunities you know you uh you're a hoodlum then you're gonna get more opportunities to have like hoodlum shit happen to you um, right. So cause and effect, I think, was a really big one. Um, and then, like, professionally, I'm going to say that it's all going back to just fucking do it. Just give it a try. You know, like, and, like, actually yeah. do it. Like, burn your fucking shits and do it. Um, you know, like, don't have, you don't need a plan B if you're going to fucking do it. I'm not rich. I'm not like some Andrew Tate fucking influencer guy. Neither are you, but like we're doing it. Uh, that's really all that matters. It's not what you said you would do. It's what you like did. Yeah. So that's uh, another big one. Like, even if you're not that great, like just do it. You want to be an influencer? Sick. Start writing tweets. How can you dream of being an influencer if you like you don't even make social media content? Yeah, you can't at a certain point too much theory is bad for business. <laughs> yeah. Like I honestly uh, it's something I heard in the past when I was working at intern and I really see the truth to it. And it was like the two kinds of people that succeed in business are either like really smart or really dumb. If they're really dumb, they just don't think it through. They just do it. They're not they're not smart enough to be scared about it. And if they're really smart, like they're smart enough to know there's nothing to be scared about, just go do it. Right. 
And then it's the people in the middle who probably overanalyze analysis by paralysis. They got to yeah. think about all the angles and all the scenarios and this and that. And then they never get started because they're bogged down by all this paperwork. Yeah. They're just trying to do all these strategies. They're like, oh my God, I need Notion plugins with Coca. So it feeds into my Asana and my CRM. And bro, like, do it off the spreadsheet. You can start with the spreadsheet. Yeah. yeah Simplicity. Like, yeah. That's, I mean, that's probably. If I think about my my two things, for me, it is this idea of what is the simplest way to do something first before we're complicating it. This is something I really had to learn a lot um, personally because I just think about shit all the time. And I had to learn how to just be able to do things as simplistic as possible. And the next thing I realized was... Uh, <laughs> I listened to the audiobook, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck, I think oh, it's yeah. called. Oh, yeah. And that, for me, was a very big per- perspective shift in my life. And um, I came out of that feeling like I was heard or validated in this feeling I had for a while, but never felt like I was able to take action on, which was essentially like, um, don't try so hard except for the areas where you really see something is valuable and just fucking let it go. Just let shit go. Mm -hmm. And uh, I would always hang on to things myself just about maybe certain ideas or certain people or certain situations. Uh, Always trying to like force something to work and it just never worked out when you force it too much. Yeah. So letting go fast Letting go quickly and trying to do something as simply as possible first before trying to overcomplicate it and automate it. That's probably the two things I really, really uh, learned. You know, I think that's something uh, photography helped me with. It was like you, let's say an event, like you don't have, or can't do the theory. You can't think about like all the lighting. You can, but I mean, there's only so much you can control at an event. Like you got to get those photos, you got to click and then, you gotta hope you got it at the end of it. And if you don't, you make it work. Right. Like, you get a shot list and you better get those photos. Like, there's no second opportunity. An event only happens once. They're gonna host mm-hmm. the festival again? No. <laughs> it's it's real bad. Like, everybody come back. Hold yeah, on, I need the photos. photos. No, like, yeah. Yeah, you just, you just have to make it work. And there's been a few times where I, like, I, you know, maybe it was a little bit blurry or whatever, and, like, you really have to make it work. Like, you got to figure, like, you make it work. That right. was the contract, right? The contract was that you're going to make it work. They trusted you. That's why I don't do weddings. I never did weddings. I always refused. Too much pressure. Too much pressure. And uh, there's, like, the whole bridezilla thing, you know? Like, oh, yeah. kind of true. Like, it's their special moment. Like, don't fuck it up little bit blurry or anything like you're getting a lawsuit on your hands right mm. wow i actually never thought about that before for wedding photographers it's kind of astonishing how many of them there are thinking about that actually yeah <laughs> i i guess maybe i overanalyzed it but for me that was just a scary game i preferred studio well you did whatever that. was simplest and easiest for you i guess right that's yeah. fine <clears throat> and i had fun at these events so i go have fun and like you got a first-person perspective of having fun. Mm. 
Well, my friend, I think we're literally about to run out of our time for like our free account right now. Perfect. Yeah, maybe uh, next time we put a timer. This was almost two hours. Yeah, I mean, that's okay. I felt like it was a natural flow. It's fine yeah, it for was, me personally. Good. Especially when we have guests. Like, who knows? That, those, some of those episodes might be three hours for all we know. True. I guess we'll see. Yeah. I guess we'll see. Okay. Well, thanks for uh, listening, I guess. If anyone listens. Um, this is Entrepreneur's Odyssey, episode one. And uh, stay tuned for episode two. Please like, share, and subscribe. Peace Anything out. Anything else? Yeah, peace out.